Hi, and welcome to another episode of Dose of Pharma. I'm Jessica. And I'm Helen. And today we're joined by Simona Cabone, who is a researcher at MIPS, and we'll be discussing what it's like to be a woman in science. So Simona, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your research? Yeah, sure thing. So I lead a group called the Integrated Neurogenic Mechanisms Lab in Drug Discovery Biology at MIPS. Um, I co-run that group with Dr. Daniel Poole and Dr. Nick Feldhaus. Um, so my research involves investigating the enteric nervous system or um, little brain of the gut. So I can go into that later on, but I study a whole bunch of things to do with um, how we can modulate the functions of that little brain of the gut, um, diseases that affect that little brain of the gut. Um, yeah, it's been a passion of mine for a long time. So yeah, I, I can chat about it for a very long time. <laughs> it definitely sounds fascinating. jump like right into that then rather than like waiting so for our listeners who are unfamiliar with it like what is the little brain in the gut and can you like talk them through that concept a bit yeah totally no worries okay so most people can probably appreciate that you've got a brain <laughs> um and a spinal cord yeah and so for every organ in the body the brain and the spinal cord will tell it what to do and is required for any function that the organs will do like your heart, your lungs. It needs a brain, it needs a spinal cord. The gut from the esophagus, the stomach, small intestine down to the large intestine is really unique because throughout that whole tube, you've got a network of nerves that functions completely independently from the central brain and the spinal cord. And that's called the enteric nervous system. So if you take out a segment of gut from um, a person, and you put it in a what's called an organ bath where we do our experiments, a lot of the functions of the gut will still be able to work for like a day after that piece of tissue has come out of um, the body, which is just amazing. <laughs> so things like gut motility, um, the way that our ions or electrolytes move across um, the inner layer of the gut, which is important for absorption, things like that, all those functions are controlled by that little brain of the gut. Oh, that's so cool. It's so fascinating to like, cool. yeah. <laughs> I'm just so curious, like beyond the lab, what are your other passions and how could you find um, inspiration to do all of that? Because I do know that you have your own podcast and your website. So where do your inspirations come from? In terms of inspirations, where they come from? Um, for my research, it was really driven by the fact that I... I've always loved neuroscience and I've loved biology and I had a natural um, understanding for physics as well. And so the technique that I specialized in when I was first getting into science was like a beautiful mix of all those things because I used a technique called electrophysiology where I could record from the neurons in that little gut brain and I could record the um, electrical activity that those um, nerve cells make, um, which is really important for how those nerve cells communicate with each other. So I kind of fell into it by accident. It happened to be that where I did my um, undergraduate studies is one of the founding fathers of the field of enteric neuro neuroscience, um, my, my scientific nonno. He um, 
was there um, and he was really passionate about in particular the enteric nervous system and so that led me on that path I did a placement there and I, and I just got hooked I never expected you know I didn't leave high school thinking I'm going to be an expert in the little brain of the gut like I didn't know what it was. <laughs> so that was quite by accident but I just kept following my interests um, and things that excited me as I was learning learning is a big 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 passion of mine I want to be learning forever um, for, as, for as long as I'm going. Um, so that's, I guess, where how I make a lot of my choices and decisions to do things. So um, the podcast um, called The Lead Candidate that I started a couple, this so it's started going into the second season now, um, that was based on the fact that I really appreciate to be a great leader, um, you need to have a special set of qualities um, and I realized that particularly in academic science, um, often positions of leadership are awarded to people because they have a really good scientific profile. But those two things, like having a great scientific profile doesn't mean that you're a really great leader. So I want to find those people who are great leaders in science and understand um, how they did it, how they do it, what drives them. Um, and yeah, I pick out different aspects of, of um, either their research or, or their work or their organisation, things like that, to understand that. It, and it's been a great networking opportunity for me as well. So that's another driver. I like talking to people. Um, as long as people are a part of what I'm doing, then I'm happy. Um, so yeah, I guess passion and things that make me happy are, are my real drivers. Yeah, I think that's so important when like deciding like what you want to do and like where you want to go in the career to like focus on what you love and like what you enjoy doing because then you're going to be like much happier in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't always made decisions that have been necessarily strategic as my career has developed, but there's always been something that has got me interested or some hook that I have seen as being important to myself and now I can look back on that. I wouldn't say that's necessarily the smartest way to go, but now I can look back on it and I can see and I can I make a strategy. I can see the strategy that I might have employed um, had I been a bit more tactical um, in the first place. You mentioned like how you look into leaders and stuff a lot on your podcast and how like you look into like role models and stuff like that. Are there any women in science that you really view as role models? Yeah, so um, my more like historical role model would be um, Rita Levi Montalcini. Uh, she uh, was an Italian um, scientist uh, who um, discovered uh, nerve growth factor um, and the fact that nerves need growth growth factors to develop. So you know, neuroscience background. Italian um it's like tick tick <laughs> um, yeah so that's pretty cool um when I started in um the, the gut field and enteric neuroscience biology I really looked up to um Heather Young who my, my field's quite um male dominated and Heather Young was really really stood out as um a, a person who made science work I guess and she's a good person and um to me that's they're two really great qualities um, so I've definitely really looked up to the two of them. So you've talked a lot about um, the role models and other women that you, you look up for them. So let's talk about yourself, like the choices that you've made in your career. So how have your experiences as a woman in science influenced those choices of yours? 
Yeah, sure. Um, I, I never consciously chose things because I thought it would be a good idea as a woman in science to go into an area. You know, particularly when I first started, like I didn't believe that there was any difference. I think I went to an old girls school, right? So I went to uni thinking that everything was the same. Everyone was the same. You can do anything. There's no limitations. The sky's the limit. Just go for it. And perhaps as I, as I went through and I got into a working environment, I started to realise that perhaps there are a few differences, the way some of my male colleagues were treated versus some of the female colleagues or even myself as a female. Um, but one real positive that wasn't conscious that I realise now has been such a benefit for me was actually coming to um, MIPS and working in the Department of Drug Discovery Biology because it was the first time that I saw loads of female postdocs. That's, I mean, there, there are lots of people in that department. Anyway, it was a bigger department compared to what I was used to, but it was my third university, um, third different department, and there were so many females who were only um, like five to ten years ahead of me that things then started to look achievable. I hadn't had those simple role models, you know, the classic saying of you can't be what you can't see, I hadn't had that before. And so that was really great. So I think in hindsight, if I had more confidence in my own abilities, I wasn't necessarily very confident moving through um, my undergrad through to my PhD. You know, if I had the balls to say I could choose anywhere that I, I want to go to, I perhaps would have done more research about the places that I was in to make sure I was in an environment where I knew a female could be successful. Not to say that those other places weren't, but I can see how much I have um, grown being in this environment that I'm in now. Well, it's one thing I love at MIPS is being able to see like all the researchers and hear about their research they're doing, especially that there is like a lot of female researchers and you can see the, yourself in their position being like, okay, one day I can like have that job and I can be at that level of science and like I can yeah. do that one day. Yeah, which is pretty cool. And that for the first time, I the head of my department now is Rebecca Ritchie, Professor Rebecca Ritchie. I've never had a female head of department before anywhere I've been. And so for someone coming in, for a younger you know, female coming in, they might just expect that, and we should expect that, right? It should be fine. But I've got Rebecca to look up to. And currently in D4, um, Michelle's there as well. And to, to have not had, you know, I, I'm not in D4, but to work closely with D4 to see that there's another female leading that area as well, that's really cool. Um, and that's, it's exciting. It makes um, the research landscape really exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, like, sometimes you feel like you have to, like, work extra hard to, like, live up to the expectations and to prove that, like, you're just as good as, like, the men in the field because often it's just, like, science is historically, like, a male kind of field and it is, like, progressing now but it's still, like, sometimes it's, like, okay, to prove I'm just as good, you feel like you have to put a lot of effort in. How do you go about setting the boundaries, developing a healthy work-life balance to yeah, have that balance of everything outside of work and balancing your career. Yeah, so I think I'm definitely of the adage that there's not necessarily, uh, it's not like a balance a day-to-day, -day, like that, that your schedule is always even. Uh, and I'm a mum, I've got young kids. So if I'm working in my day and something happens to them, like oh, with COVID at the moment, they're in childcare, if they have a runny nose, well, that's it, they have to come home. <laughs> 
and no matter what I do, oh, well, it's finished. So there's not really a balance in that situation. I have to stop and go deal with that situation. But then when I've got grants on or something like that, and I've got a load of work to do, I have to say, look, to my husband, you, you have to take the kids. I can't right now. I've got to focus on this. So it's not necessarily a balance in terms of equal time. I just see that sometimes you have to give one thing a priority. Sometimes you have to give something else a priority. In saying that, boundaries are really important. Um, and for me, I've learned, I, I've learned how to work better for myself as I've um, gone throughout my career I'm not sure necessarily if it's having kids or if I'm older that I've learned how I work most efficiently and the processes and the things I need to do to get the most out of my day. But um, yeah, learning how you work efficiently is super important. Um, so then you can get more done in whatever space of time and setting boundaries is really important too. So I have a day at home with my kids. Um, I know, and this is only because I learned that if I look at my emails, and check my emails and try to respond to them on my phone, I do a bad job at both answering my emails and looking after my kids <laughs> at the same time. Whereas if I leave my emails for the day and say I'm going to get back to them when my kids are asleep, I do a much better job at being a mum and I do a much better job at responding to the email. So um, everyone wins in that situation. Um, yeah, so boundaries and learning how you work are two really important things. Yeah, I really agree that um, I feel like there's no work-life balance because like sometimes you just need to learn to compromise one to another and like choose what things you want to prioritize because like it's not like you don't have time. If you want to do something, you can always make time for it and like can always prioritize. And yeah, I think that's um, a really important thing. And like sometimes we need to feel um, comfortable with like not having time to do something in order to spend more time for something else and also like be comfortable in um, things that getting out of control and things that we cannot control. Yeah, there's a few things in that. So I would say like one thing, for example, it's not necessarily, necessarily compromising something, it's just setting your priorities. So in setting your priorities, you've got to figure out what's really important to you. Um, what what are you trying to achieve? And by achieving things, they can be personal things as well. I think that's really important as well. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't necessarily seeing it as compromising. I just see it as scheduling time to focus on one particular thing at one moment. Because no matter what anyone says, no one's a really good multitasker. Um, yeah. You just shift your concentration between two things. And you actually distract yourself and make yourself more stressed when you try to do more than one thing at once. Um, yeah. That's hard to like break the habit of multitasking when you feel like that you're pulled in a lot of different directions. Yeah. It's like, yeah, learning to be like, okay, got to focus on this now then that later and then rather than trying yeah. to do everything at once. Yeah. So that's one big thing that I do to work more efficiently is I have deep focus time. I generally try to schedule that in the morning. So for things like writing or um, yeah, writing papers or grants or things like that, I try to do that in the morning. I don't check my emails and I don't check. We use a messaging system called Slack. I don't check Slack. I turn them off and um, I schedule either 20 or 50 minute, 25 or 50 minute time intervals. 
And then during the downtime, when I get up and walk off, I might quickly have a look at my emails, but I don't properly respond to things. I save that for a specific hour later on in the day um, to make sure that I answer those emails properly. I don't feel like I'm stressed trying to write email, write this, write that, switching everywhere. Um, yeah, I, I find it's better for my stress. And when I do, you know, I'm not perfect. I do break those habits some days, but then I'm annoyed at myself at the end of the day because I feel really tired and I haven't actually done anything because I've written emails all day. So. <laughs> that sounds like a very effective strategy. So to wrap it up, do you have any advice you'd love to like to give to young women in science at like the beginning of their career? Yeah. Um, gosh, what's some advice that I wish I had when I started? Um, I think the big thing is believe in yourself. And if you've got like that spark or that passion for something, uh, then go for it. Back yourself because no one else will. And if you want an opportunity, you're going to have to ask for it. Um, because sitting back and waiting for it, it's probably not going to happen. So um, just go for it. Back yourself and go for it. Yeah, that sounds so like inspirational. <laughs> Hopefully it's something that like uh, we and our listeners are able to take on board and that can help us in our careers. Well, the fact that you've even created this podcast is a really great sign of that. So well done to <laughs> the team behind this. Um, it's a, a good sign for sure. Thank you. And thank, thank you, you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Sosa Pharma acknowledges the traditional custodians of the various lands throughout Australia on which we connect today and pays respect to elders past, present and future. Mm -hmm.